Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedian, founder and CEO of Dedian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am so happy to have today James Bitts, the founder, CEO, and chairman of Advi Now Medical. James, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show. I am really excited as I know that we're going to have great conversations with everything that you're doing within your company in regards to artificial intelligence, the medical field, and how... Artificial intelligence is essentially going to change the medical field, which is something that I'm really intrigued about. But before going into all of that, I give a small introduction of who you are, James. Can you unpack that a bit more? Tell us who you are, what do you do, and so on. Sure. So my name is James Bates. I'm the founder and CEO of AdvyNow Medical. I've been in the high technology field for 25 years. And most recently, before I founded AdvyNow, I actually ran a billion-dollar business in self-driving vehicle technologies. So we made the technologies that gives the car the ability to sense the world around you, make decisions, and take action. So our clients were people like Tesla or Google on the startup side or Daimler, GM, or Toyota on the large OEM side. Um, and we had an opportunity to, to sell the business in December of 2015. And as an officer of the company, it was a good time for me to retire. And as I retired, I started looking at healthcare, really. And this is where things started to get really interesting. Um, and, uh, and that will lead into the rest of our discussion. So, Chris, go happy to not take over your whole show here. Uh, oh, no. First of all, please do. Go on rants as much as you want. Like, I feel like we're going to something delicious. So I'm kind of going to guide you towards that. Before going into all the medical stuff, you tapped into the aspect that your previous company was a company that helps uh, essentially make cars that drive themselves. So talk to yes. me a bit about that, because that is very interesting. We're seeing it happen more and more with Tesla. We're hearing buzz that in the next half decade or decade or so, the trucking industry will be completely non-existent for the truck drivers, and it's going to be automated. And furthermore, I was actually having a conversation with my mentor and coach, which he has a kid of like right now, six years old. And we're talking about that this kid is never going to actually drive a car. And that was mind blowing to me. I'm like, oh, wow, I have a niece at that age. And I'm like, she's never going to drive a car. So are, are these all things that are true? And how soon is it going to happen? Well, um, so will your niece never drive a car? I don't know I would, if I would go that far. Um, if she doesn't want to drive a car, she won't have to drive a car. And that is what is very different in the world of the United States. I, I spent 12 years of my life living in Tokyo. And in Tokyo, most of the people actually don't drive. But they don't drive because they can take taxis and then they take a wonderful subway system, one of the best subway systems in the world. And, and you can actually get around. And in New York City here in the United States, you can also have a life in general without a car. But the rest of the United States needs a car. 
It's not that, hey, I don't like driving. You know, I, I like to drive, so I'm going to drive it. You must drive, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you live in a rural community or you live even in a suburb of a large city and you don't drive, until Uber came about, it was literally impossible for you to survive. Now with Uber, you know, you don't have to drive. So you can drive. And as we go on and self-driving vehicles take over, and I would probably put it at a 2030 type of date. So we're still looking at five to 10 years away. I mean, so it's still a ways. Um, We're going to get to the point where a car is, you're literally, you'll go in and you'll have a Google Maps and you'll say, take me to Safeway. And it automatically takes you to the grocery store, right? Um, That is going to happen. And we will start to see it in a probably about 2025 in a limited fashion and widely adopted by the end of the decade would would be the speculation. The interesting thing is, is that the technology exists today and it's actually existed for the last 10 years, but it's not mature enough so that it will never make mistakes. It works 99% of the time. And for those of you who drive a Tesla and I drive a Tesla, you know, it's, it's very, it's very interesting to know what auto drive works well with and what it doesn't. Right. And the the most recent version of auto drive, it, it senses pedestrians, it senses bikes on the side of the road, but you still doesn't move your car over enough for you to feel safe that you're going around that, that person who's, biking down the road. You want to give them enough leeway just in case they swerve, they won't hit you because you want to avoid problems. So unless there's another car coming the other way, you'll give them lots of room. And Tesla doesn't do that automatically, right? So as as we're as as it starts to really get smarter and smarter, which is happening every day, automated driving is going to happen. And and then you don't have to drive. You can jump in your car and say take me to the to the store and it will just take you that is going to be interesting because I'm just thinking about the efficiency and essentially a lot of people have accidents because they're tired or they're not paying attention. So I feel like it's going to diminish a lot of these types of accidents. So it's very interesting. We just have to kind of get ready towards it. Just like anything, just like the electric car was here 30 years ago, we had the technology, but we weren't ready for it. And that's a whole other subject as well. But I feel like there's going to be an adapting period for people to accept it just like anything, but I'm really looking forward to that. And James, as this is a huge conversation and a huge industry in itself. And then once you retired, why did you dive into the medical field? Because I'm sure you made a pretty penny. You could have been like, okay, cool. Let's, uh, let's put up our feet, enjoy whatever we need to enjoy. But then you started looking into the medical field and then you're like, oh, wait a minute, there's a lot of red flags, which by the way, shows that you're a true entrepreneur because all we want to do is solve problems and we see opportunities. So once you saw this problem, what did, what did you want to do to solve it? And what was the problem that you saw and everything that you're doing with the medical field right now? Yeah. So it, as soon as, as soon as I retired, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And my wife, I was 45 years old and my wife was talking to me and we're like, we should, you should retire now. And, you know, we had enough money to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, I literally didn't know what I was going to do. And I stayed home and actually watched four seasons of game of Thrones, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Cause I'd heard so many people talking about it and I'd never actually seen the show and I spent about a week, you know, doing that. And by the end of that, I felt so worthless. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? 
So I, I said, I want to do something that makes a difference. I don't want to be a binge Netflix guy, right? And so, so I, I started looking at healthcare because it's one of the most really fundamentally flawed industries in the mm-hmm. world. And, and when you start looking at what healthcare, the amount of the GDP that it's eating and the progression through the increases in costs for the whole country, families, companies, countries, they're being bankrupted by the healthcare costs. The whole debate about who pays for it and how to pay for it. And then as we're going through all of the different aspects around healthcare, you know, the population health, you know, how do you keep people healthy rather than trying to treat them when they're sick, right? There's a lot of flavors to look at. I thought, wow, this is a great place to look at because it's undergoing so much change and it's so broken. So initially I thought, okay, I'm just gonna be an investor. And so I started looking at medical practices. I started looking at urgent care practices, primary care practices, um, surgery centers and things like this really to acquire, maybe invest in. And the more I looked at them, the more I was surprised at how little money they made. And I thought, man, costs are spiraling out of control. There's so much money being funneled in here and nobody's making money. Why is that? And I had a friend of mine give me an opportunity to dig into his urgent care operations. And I started to really understand what the fundamental problem was. And the fundamental problem is that 65% of every dollar, so think about this, 65 cents of every dollar you spend in healthcare is spent in an administrative cost of healthcare. And so I thought, wow, if we could eliminate two thirds of the cost of healthcare, that would fundamentally change the world. And now you could you could actually give access to care to everyone without bankrupting the country, right? You could actually do these things, solve real problems. And we could use the same type of artificial intelligence and augmented reality that we're using in the self-driving vehicle world to eliminate this administrative burden of healthcare. And that was the foundation of Advinal Medical. And what our thesis is, is to eliminate that administrative burden by using artificial intelligence and augmented reality. Okay, so many things to unpack there. First and foremost, the, the watching the Netflix things, I was cracking up for the, the listeners or the viewers saw it, but just because that was a true reality of what entrepreneur is, right? You have no time to watch anything. The second you're retired, like, hey, let me watch this. And then as you're going through that, you're like, wait a minute, I have to do something more positive with my life or something that's more fulfilling, which you found this great opportunity to go into. Now, the fact that you told me 65% of all dollars spent in the medical field goes to administrative costs, I am not surprised. Really, I'm not. And it's not even just the medical field. I feel like there's a lot of industry from politics to business, whatever, that just are not allocating their money the proper way. Now, James, imagine you open this up and augmented reality happens and we're saving, like you said, 30 some percent and you have 30 extra percent of the money. What tells us it's not going to be extra money? Yeah. Oh, you're, you're going for the whole thing. So you're going to take out 60 something percent. Okay. Wow. So that is interesting. So taking out the whole the, the 60%, that means it's a lot of money. Who says it's not going to be allocated necessarily in the right way? Because there is still a lot of money that's getting funneled. Is it the system that's wrong? So even if we're patching this, are we patching something or we should just change the whole system in itself? What do you speak to that with the research that you've done? Yeah, so the, the beautiful part about Advino Medical is that, you know, 
I'm not out to tell a government that single payer system is the way to go or to go and, and tell somebody that a commercial payer is the way to go. I'm not taking sides there. AdvyNow could be used across any type of payer system in any type of healthcare regime, whether it's population health, again, where you're trying, you're compensating doctors to keep people healthy rather than compensating them when to treat them when they're sick, right? So that's a fundamental shift change. But AdvyNow could be used in any of those models because we are just eliminating the data collection and documentation activities from the front desk, from the doctor, and from the actual coding at the back office. And so we can be used anywhere. So some of our clients, you know, that, that have used our platform to date have decided to take all those savings and put it in profit. So a clinic that was literally making three to 5% profit a year, which is terrible. I mean, if, yes. if you run a business and you're only making 3%, you might as well buy a T-bill from the government, right? And it, mm-hmm. it's safer and you're making the same money. So, so that's the last place you should be investing. Well, that same clinic chain today is now making 25%. And so now all of a sudden the clinic chain is a real business because you, every business should make 20% net. You know, if you're, if you're putting in the bank 20 cents out of every dollar you earn, you're doing pretty good. And that's a good business. So, so some of our clients have chose to do that. Other of our clients though, which are nonprofits are actually just expanding healthcare. So they're saying, okay, so now we're expanding access and we're treating more patients with the same resources. So the cost per patient has now gone down, even though they're making the same amount of money. And so, you know, I, I, we can't decide how they're going to take that money that's being saved and use it. You know, some people want to put it in the bank. Other people are going to, you know, do more, you know, human things with it. But, you know, our job is really to just eliminate that burden. That makes sense. So you're giving them the opportunity and then what they're going to do with it. It's kind of up to them. Now, in regards to this, like you said, about 65% is what is uh, getting spent for uh, the, the cost of employees, the back office, whatever the case is, and you want to take out all of that. Does this mean as well taking out a big part of the nurses, the doctors, so on and so forth? Or we're talking about more, like you said, the paperwork or where are we kind of aiming into? Because right now, even like as we speak, there are robots doing open art surgery. Granted, there is people there that are supporting it. But what I understand with the limited knowledge I have of this is that the doctors are like, it's so much more precise than a human doing it. They're just there to monitor it getting done. So what are we talking about with the augmented reality, with the AI coming into the medical field specifically? Yeah. So the beautiful thing about the medical field is that it's so understaffed right now that adding more efficiency into it really doesn't eliminate jobs. And so if you're, if you're thinking about, are we going to go fire a whole bunch of doctors? No. I mean, it, 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 today, there is a 50% shortage of primary care doctors in the United States, which means we can double the number of primary care doctors and still not have enough, right? Because the population's growing. So so it's it's just absolutely a, a crazy thing when you start thinking about the shortages of medicine right now. Um, so what AdvyNow does is let's say every doctor's office in the United States started using AdvyNow and they double their efficiency, which literally is what happens with our clients, right? They see twice as many patients an hour 
even though they spend the same amount of time with those patients face-to-face because they're eliminating all the electronic healthcare record, data collection and documentation work. Um, Abby now is now doing that for them. So they can double the number of patients and the patients are there for them to see. So instead of patients going without care because it's too annoying to get care or those long wait times, they go down. So now patients actually stay healthier because they can see doctors when they need to see them and not when the doctors can see them. Okay. This is I so interesting because I completely forgot about that aspect. You're absolutely right that we are in need of doctor nurses. And it is a very, very, very demanding industry feel like hats off to all those people that are in that profession because hundred percent is needed and they do crazy hours and so on and so forth. So now you have an opportunity to build an AI that the industry is going to welcome with open arms because we're not taking away jobs. If anything, we're making it easier for them correlated to exactly. what we we're talking about in the beginning, that you're creating an industry that's going to take out some jobs of like the truckers and all that stuff. And granted, there's going to be some leeway pushback with that, but I do believe it's the evolution of our human existence and we're going towards that. So it's a process, but very interesting within this medical field. And I have one last question with the medical field, as I feel like obviously sure. we've done a lot of research with this and you are from the States. I'm actually from Canada, from Montreal. What is your ideology in regards to having free healthcare compared to not having it? What would you think is the best way? Is it one or the other? Is it a hybrid? That's the best way because like we have a great system here, but there is flaws in that. And you guys have a great system, but there's flaws in that as well. So what would you speak to that? Totally. Every system has its pros and cons. And, you know, the, the reality is, is it would be great if every patient had access to healthcare regardless of their ability to pay or their citizenship status. And, and that would be a wonderful human thing to have. The problem is when you, when you start asking who's gonna pay for that, right? And when you have a shortage like you do in the healthcare space today, then if you start adding more patients because now you're paying for those patients, the costs just spiral out of control. And that's kind of what the status is in the United States, right? Um, so it, it's it's interesting because I don't think that there is a right way to do it. I, I live in Arizona, um, so Scottsdale, Arizona. Every year we get the Canadian takeover that happens usually <laughs> around October and ends around April, right? It, all these Canadians, they, they retire, they come out here, we call them snowbirds, you know, they fly in. And they all get their medical health care taken down here. So um, apparently if they come over, they can get things done that they can't get done in Canada. They're on a waiting list in Canada. They come down here and then they can get it done. And, and so I, I, that leads me to believe, and I lived in Japan for 12 years, and that also has socialized medicine in, in Japan. It's a similar type of program that, that Canada has and the UK. So it's all kind of a similar system. Um, in, in Japan, the doctors got paid the same amount of money for every single time they saw a patient. So for me, I, I get skin moles that need to be removed every so often. I, for me to go get a mole removed in Japan, it took seven visits, a visit to see the doctor and say, yeah, this is a problem. Another visit for the doctor to make a plan about it. Then another visit for, for them to schedule the appointment. Then another visit to take it off. Then another visit to check it up. Then another visit to give me the result of the biopsy. Then another bit, I mean, it was just crazy stupid because it was centered around how many times can we see the patient so they can get paid, right? In the United States, that same mole comes off in one visit. 
I set up a meeting, they look at it, they cut it out right there, they send me out. And so, so it's a, it, I, I think everyone gets paid regardless of the system. And then they design the system to be, you know, in a way such that they always get paid and just make it more onerous on patients either one way or the other. Yeah. So that leads me to believe that there is no perfect system. And the only way that we can fundamentally solve the problem is reducing the cost so much that it doesn't bankrupt governments that want to do that, like Canada for their citizens and for governments like the United States that have a hybrid model where 50% of patients in the U.S. are on socialized medicine and 50% on paid insurance, um, that either system works. And, uh, and so that's the goal of, of really our company is to solve that fundamental problem. I love that. And if you guys do hats off, because like you mentioned, I have the same ideology. I do believe it's somewhere in the middle hybrid wise, because if you're just going paid, obviously it's more of an affluent community that could afford that. And we want to be covering for everybody. It's, it's, you know, healthcare is supposed to be offered to everybody, but same time, the counterpart, like you said, if it's offered to everybody, there is abuse. Some people know how to use it and there is real abuse. So then once you need it, then you're on wait list and so on and so forth. Granted, if there's something that's really important, God forbid you have cancer or whatever, you're going to be bumped up and all that, but there's even weights for that, but it's, it's less than if you have a smaller issue, but towards like, if we have an issue, you go to States and you want to pay it. Like you said, that, that mold example that you gave one day, you book it and you're done, you pay it. And that's it. Instead of the Japan example that you gave. So very interesting. Now, James, as we kind of dive into the medical field, and it is something that interests me a lot, let's talk about the entrepreneurial side of things. And what do I mean by that? Because I have to ask you questions on this. You've run two successful businesses. You went back and you know, you're know you just kicking ass, taking names and chewing bubble gums with all this. And I do have a big audience in entrepreneurship. What is one of the best lessons that you have learned as an entrepreneur with the first business, which was the car uh, driving itself company, and now going to retirement and coming back and doing what you're doing now, what are two lessons that you have learned from this that we can take as any entrepreneur and really utilize at a high level? Sure. So, you know, it's interesting. I've learned different lessons. Um, So my previous company was a larger company, right? Um, It was a company of $4 billion. I ran $1 billion of revenue. So I ran 25% of the company. I was, I was just a senior executive in, in the company. Um, and, and how do you manage that in own it? Because I wasn't the founder. I, I was able to drive it and be very successful. And so it, it was a great experience for me. And, and then when I founded my own company and I wrote my own patents and I hired my own team, I thought that I would be able to use all of the same experience that I used at that much larger company and obviously I learned a lot different things. And so the, the experience and the, the expertise that's required for a startup entrepreneur compared to an entrepreneur within a larger company, they're two different, they're two different skill sets. And it's very few people that can do both, you know, and, and it has yet to be seen whether I can make Advi now a billion dollars, although so far so good. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, um, it, 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 and, and it, it's amazing how much I had to learn and relearn and mature as a manager and really dig in and have that robust attitude and the resilience of one day, great news. Our largest client has signed the contract. We're going live. And the next day, 
the pandemic hits and that goes on hold because all the hospitals close, right? So, so as you're dealing with those ups and downs as an entrepreneur and you have, you know, the, these huge amounts of money, which are, are flowing through the company and a lot through my own bank account, right? It, it ends up, it, it ends up creating stresses and, and maturity that you've, that, that I really didn't know I didn't have. So wow. it gave me a strong appreciation for the, the people who are willing to start companies take that risk, especially mm-hmm. people who are willing to do it later in life. And, uh, you know, as a younger, as a younger employee, I joined a company called Silicon Laboratories, you know, in, in 2001. And at the time they were a small company and I helped found their international operations. And that's, I was living in Tokyo at the time. And, uh, and I really thought I was an entrepreneur and I, and I, you know, I set up stock entities in each one of the countries. We grew the business from zero to almost a half a billion dollars in the space of just four years. It was a great experience, but I also was not the founder. I wasn't the guy writing the checks. And, and so it, it, I didn't learn what I'm learning now. <laughs> so I guess my biggest message to entrepreneurs is stay resilient, stay humble, and stay teachable. If, if you're not capable of learning, you won't be successful. And, uh, and that's, that's my biggest lesson myself. James, I love that. That was so delicious. A couple of things I want to highlight. The last little bit that you said is correlated to one of my favorite quotes, which was said by Socrates, the Greek philosopher. The only true wisdom is that I know nothing, even though it's a man that has a lot of wisdom. And you're telling us after building you know, a couple of companies through billions and having 25% of that company dealing with it and so on, which coming with so much knowledge, even at that point, when you start something new or whenever you're like, Hey, I'm humble enough to know that I always need to learn. That was one thing that's huge. And please guys listen to that and really embody that be resilient. Just like James mentioned. Second thing, you kind of give us a great definition over understanding the difference between an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur, which What I understand, James, your whole life, you've been an entrepreneur, which essentially is exactly the same thing as an entrepreneur. You see opportunities the same way, you hire the same way, you fire the same way, you invest your money the same way. The only difference, like you said, the founder, which is the entrepreneur, is signing the checks at the end of the month. And that only thing creates a world of difference when it comes to the stress, the this, the that, because at the end of the day, you're the one that's kind of putting in the chips in the middle of the table and kind of betting it all. So very interesting how you kind of correlated that. I truly love that. I'm going to ask you two last questions because I want to be respectful for your time here. First and foremost, this show is obviously called the Peak Performance Greatness Show. Everything that I do within my brand is about peak performance through my speaking and my coaching programs and my courses, so on and so forth. Now, it's obvious that you're a successful man and you have done it rinse and repeat. I truly believe that success and high performance comes to habits and rituals. So what are some of your habits and rituals that you do on a daily basis to show up at such a high performing level consistently? Yeah. So, you know, the the amazing thing I've learned throughout my career is that you have to be hundred percent on every day Mm -hmm. and, and it's really 24 seven. I mean, I lived in Asia, which meant I was, I, I worked 24 seven, you know, when you work for a U.S. company and you live in, in Japan, essentially you have two shifts. You have the U.S. shift at night and then you have the Asian shift, you know, during the day. And so you, you can't ignore either shift. So as you get tired and as you, as you maybe get discouraged and as you're working hard and as, you know, it, your attitude 
needs to be irrelevant. It needs to always be positive. Your experiences need to always come in at 100%. You know, and, and staying on means that, you know, you, you, you can't ever go and get intoxicated, right? And, and, and do something stupid. You, you can't ever do that. It means that you have to stay healthy, which means exercise. And, and today I get up every morning and I go hike a mountain at sunrise. And, and I do that every day. You know, I'm up at 5 a.m., you know, put on my clothes, go hike the top of the mountain, sit up there and stretch and just clear my mind and making sure that my mental health, you know, my ability to deal with BS, if you will, is, is at a level that will allow me to be a leader, allow me to be an example, allow me to teach with example as my staff is also dealing with all of those same things. And, you know, if we're all not reacting in a rational, mature way, the company fails. And so I need to be that guy. And as I've done that throughout my whole career, it's, it's really taught some self-discipline. And so the number one advice I would say is build in a disciplined approach. And that starts with discipline on yourself how you exercise, what you read. I mean, I, I listen to books every morning on my, on my runs, right? I mean, that's what I do. So I go through a lot of different books and, and with that whole process, you end up learning, you end up clearing your mind, you end up having a good attitude and then dominating during the day. Love that. I love that. I'm just going to highlight a couple of things so our listeners could really hone in with this and for me to remember it even more. So first and foremost, you have chosen to be positive. When people come up to me and like, hey, Chris, how are you so happy and all that stuff? I'm like, it's because I chose years ago to be happy today. And that's what you have done. He's like, whatever the situation is, I want to be positive today. Now, granted, there's ups and downs. That's just being a human being. It's perfectly normal. But you're putting systems and processes in place for you to be the most optimal possible such as you're working out, such as while you're working out, you take a moment to stretch and kind of meditate and think and be within your thoughts, such as educating yourself through listening to the audiobooks while you're doing that process. So you're putting all those proper steps that are making you highly achieving on a consistent basis because it is things that you can control. So what you can control, you're working on it at a very high level. So James, thank you for all of that advice. Last question that I have for you is where can our community connect with you the best way possible on socials, on emails, whatever the case is. If somebody's interested to know more about your company, maybe they're a doctor, maybe they want to figure out, hey, how can we potentially collaborate together because they're interested to drop their uh, uh, percentage down and have more revenue at the end of the month. So what would be the best place to connect with you? Yeah, so advinow.com, A-D-V-I-N-O-W.com is our website. I can be reached um, james.bates at advinow.com. Happy for to have you reach out directly. Happy to help in any way I can. And of course, for anyone interested in, in the Advinow products, we'd be happy to introduce you and help take your, your practice to the next level and become the practice of the future. James, Thank you very much. Everything you mentioned will be linked down in the show notes below. I truly love this conversation and good luck with everything you're doing. You're definitely doing great work. So thank you very much for everything. Thank you for the time, Chris. I've really enjoyed the time today. My pleasure. Christopher Dedian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? 
Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program and don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day.